21st Century Women on Cambridge 105 Radio and HCR 104 FM. In the programme today, we'll be talking about chocolate, music and hair. Bobby Jones talks to barber Bianca Seymour, who told her what it was like to work as a woman barber. I met with Dee Dee, otherwise known as Lauren Deacon Davis, who's made the transition from music producer to artist. She talks about how she got started in the music business. And what could be better than talking about chocolate? Well, other than eating it, of course. Lucky Susie Thorpe visited a chocolatier on Sark, Cara Coldridge, who talked about her life on the island and how she set up her business. That is all coming up on this edition of 21st Century Women. In the studio, we have Bobby Jones. Hello there. We've got Liz Kelly. Hello. We've got Susie Thorpe. Hi there. And of course, me, Linda Ness. Well, the first piece that we've got coming up, I quickly recorded, kind of on the fly, really. I was at Strawberry Fair and there was someone who was performing there called Dee Dee. And I knew a little bit about her. I'd seen her before, knew a little bit about her background. And I thought she'd be a very interesting person to talk to. Women are really making their mark in the the music business at the moment. And uh, producer Lauren Deacon Davies who became the youngest full member of the Music Producers Guild, aged 21. She also won the New Music Generator 2017 Producer of the Year. She's been playing in bands, playing guitar and bass since she was 10 year old, would you believe? And she's now launched a career as a performing artist called Dee Dee. I caught up with her backstage, as I say, at Strawberry Fair. One, two, three, four. Aiming at you, yeah, he's shouting his lungs out, his face turns blue because he's decided what you're... Lauren, you've produced lots of records and you've also gone into making your own music as well. And we're here at Strawberry Fair, you're about to go on this evening. Yes. What made you make that change from producing to going into actually doing the music yourself? Were you kind of watching other artists and lusting after what they were doing? I think um, it's quite interesting because the reason why I was so reluctant to do performance as my own music for so long was that I really hated my voice and so it took me quite a long time to get to a point where I felt comfortable with it. I've been touring for like literally years on stage in other bands, writing music for other bands and so I had a lot of experience being on stage anyway but I got to a point where I developed a lot of skills in branding and songwriting and production and everything and then one day in March last year, so like March 2017, I wrote a song called Sorry, and I just the first song I didn't hate that I'd written and recorded. I'm so sorry for what this has become. It wasn't perfect, but that's no excuse for me to run. The morning's the hardest without your eyes dripping blue. And she said, um, and I was like, oh god, so I showed my mum and she was like, this isn't, this isn't awful. And I was like, thanks, and I showed my stepdad and he was like, I really like that. I know, it's, it's like, she's like, she's realistic, you know, like, she's like, I don't, she wouldn't, she wouldn't get my hopes up unnecessarily or she wouldn't make me do something stupid if she actually thought it was bad. Quite right. Um, which is not a nice feeling to be in. Um, and yeah, so we were like, okay, so then within the space of about a week, we'd gone, I'd like 
launched this project. I'd come up with all the branding, the ideas, the concept, like a six-month plan and everything. Because the, the really the advantage of what my job that I'd been doing previously, that I still do, is I just know quite a lot of people. I know how to make things work. So it just naturally sort of flowed and people really liked it as well. They were just like, oh, I like this song. I'll play it on my show or come do this gig. And it just, it was, it was delightful. To, like to be honest to be asked to do all of this stuff and people getting behind it so I think that then encouraged me to carry on and like because now I've reached a point where I've got quite a strong plan in place and I'm not going anywhere like I'm staying like I'm staying as DD and I do production at the same time as well so it's not but it's kind of odd because a lot of people go into production having started as musicians yeah and you're kind of doing it the other way around yeah, I mean, I was in like a, a ukulele folk band with like a bunch of girls when I was younger, and when we went to the studios there, I was this is like I was fourteen, like fourteen to sixteen. I, we were going to the studios, and I was always looking over the shoulder of the engineer, being like, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" And so I think I had a like, natural curiosity at that point, um, and I just saw the advantages of being a producer and an artist because you have so much more control over how things sound and it's a lot quicker like I just think that it's a really good tag team set of skills to have so it just works really nicely but I do all of my music is co-produced by my drummer Rhiannon um, so we work on them together I'm not going to take full credit for how epic <laughs> the, like the production is or some so of the songs. So do you write together then? No so I go away in my little, I have my own studio called The Den and that's where I record all of everyone's music um, and I go in there and I just sit with my guitar and I write the song and then I'll start tracking up all of the parts, the ideas for it and then I'll go to Renia Anon's studio in Ramsgate and then we'll go down and I'll show her the songs and then we like retrack it up and then we often go to other studios to track drums because I like getting real drums on the song so we might go to London or like Urchin Studios or places like that to track music. So and how did you get into production to begin with? Did you go to college or did you just start doing it? I, um, it's an unpopular uh, thing maybe but I dropped out of school when I was 16 so I have no formal education in production. Um, I, did, I did an AS level, so or like 16, 17. So I did an AS level in production, which taught me the absolute basics, which was enough to get me into it. But we had this, this shed at the bottom of the garden, and I, I downloaded Audacity, which is like a free software. It's so like so it well. <laughs> yes, it's so not good for recording. But I did it anyway, um, and I was like, okay, I think I'm actually really like doing this. So then I bought Cubase. Uh, like a second-hand version of like a hundred pounds and I was like oh my god it's so expensive um, but then I started recording um, uh, other artists at that point and I learned from just doing it so that was how I got into production really but you, you've actually worked with quite well-known people haven't you how did that come about is it just people you know word of mouth starting off that way um it definitely my biggest I'd say the biggest thing is always be friendly and, and lovely to people or just be your, you know be yourself and it, hopefully that's a nice person and um the amount of opportunities I've got from being friends with people who have made friends with. So I actually got to work with Laura Marling because I was working at, uh, I was at like an, the Music Producers Guild um, event and one of the board directors really liked me and then there was an opportunity to go forward to put a female engineer for this project and then he picked me and so that's why I ended up working on it. So um, it's, it's stuff like that really that really helps. And does the music matter to you in, in as much as what type of music? Do you folk or do you prefer rock or what's your musical... Well, my music is quite, um, like, punk pop. Like, it's quite in-your-face, like, guitars, like, thrashy kind of stuff. Um, but still kind of thought out. I really liked, I really like songs to be songs, if you get me. Like, you could play them in any genre and you'd still know what song it is. That's kind of how I like to write them. But the production I choose is pop, like, punk, rock or whatever. Um, but the production I work on as a producer is often acoustic, alternative pop, folk. 
Um, I feel like I've just kind of honed my skills quite well in those areas. I'm not afraid to go into other genres, but I have a connection of loads of other producers. So say someone needs like really good beats, I'd be like, go to this person. And when someone like needs a good folk artist going to them, like goes to them, they go like, I'll work with Lauren. Like, so it's all like, it's just a network of producers. So you're not working on projects that could be better if they worked on someone else. Do you find it's mainly male-dominated, the production industry? I mean, it really, it's, there's just no doubt. It's like 2% of, uh, like, the women are producers. It's ridiculous. That's shocking, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, no, it's, it's actually it's so shocking. But I, if you, if you read, if they read that survey now, I don't think they would be that, uh, because there's so many organisations, like the Normal Not Novelty event, which is put on by Red Bull, and that's just for female producers, and they teach you how to become a producer and everything like that, and you get to meet them, and there's so many initiatives at the moment. PRS are doing the Women in Music production and stuff like that, so... I think the main difference is, is that women are always encouraged to be artists yeah. and that men are encouraged to be producers a lot of the time or session musicians. And so you have a lot of artists who are actually produ- female artists that are actually producers, but they're not told they're producers, they're just told they're artists. So it's, I think it's down to definition, because I think a lot more producers are artists are producers than they realise. But you've got to be quite techy as well, I suppose, because when you're, when you're faced with a desk, and I know this as well, when you're faced with a desk, you've got to kind of come to grips with how everything works, what all the knobs and switches do. So I think there's a bit of that as well. It's, it looks slightly terrifying at the beginning. I would, I would say it's in, intimidating, but as soon as you realise that like there's so many knobs because it's just one strip duplicated loads of times that all of the knobs do the same thing just in a different channel that definitely helps but also um there's like a bit of a difference between producers and engineers because you could be a recording engineer and you know how all the knobs work and everything but you might be a producer which is like making the executive decision over the sonic sound of like how you want the project to sound so there's like a bit of a difference but I, I'm an engineer as well as a producer yeah, so you, the techie you stuff both yeah so like engineer producer and artist I think that's a good and place to be actually it's fun because I, I, I'm a session in, like I play session uh, electric guitar acoustic guitar and bass and sing and keys so I just get put in like a lot of things so I meet a lot of people and go on tours and then that's how I get more gigs more like opportunities I get to work with people might find a support act and I think they're amazing I'm like have you got any recordings and they're like need to do some so it's all, it's all just getting out there so yeah. I really enjoy it and it's such a good movement within women at the moment to make a difference with that yeah and this project dd yes which is it's your surname isn't it it is because my my real name which is like my production name is lauren deacon davis which you'll see taking up way too much space on people's cds um so i got the complete oh my god it's so bad i feel so bad for some of the artists and oh god and so you cut it down to dd for the for the band yeah well um the thing is is because everyone calls me dd anyway like because it's deacon davis they go like oh dd so it naturally it wasn't like it wasn't a weird thing to change my name to because it is my nickname but for a few people um so i started that my intention was always for it to be a solo project but to have a band behind me and I have an absolutely amazing band like I forced them to wear checkered jackets to match mine and they wear all black with white shoes even on a hot summer's day I'm sulky about that or it's fine they, they live they, they tolerate it I think they I was literally saying when I was walking down I was like do you mind that I make you do this and both of them were like no it's fine it's just we see how sad you are when we're not doing it so we feel like and then how happy you get when you do when we do wear them so that's why we wear them and I was like thank you (laughs) and the project's been going for about a year now yeah so just over a year so I've released four singles in that time um with an EP release at the end of the year Mm -hmm. um which is not officially announced um but I am going to be releasing another single in July um which is also not officially announced yet but it, it will be coming out um 
so that's exciting. I'm doing solo shows as well. So last night I was gigging in Bristol, um, just me on, on a mini tour I'm doing with Brooks, um, who's an amazing artist. And then, yeah, I'm doing loads of shows with the band. And they're just amazing. <laughs> they're so good. And we all have like choreographed dancing and like, I really, I really put them through their tracks. Like, <laughs> I can't wait to see this later on. It's going to be really fun. It's going to, I just, like, because everyone, everyone enjoys it. Like, I really try to make sure that if someone isn't liking something about the project, it's like, what, what can I do to help? Like, how would, how can I make this easier for you? So, and I just like the community of doing it because also I've been a session musician for so many years. I've been in so many bands. I know how crappy it is when people like just don't pay attention to you, don't ask how, like, you know, like, just like, just like, well, you're a session musician. So I definitely try and not have that attitude. And now they're like my best friends, so. And where do you hope this will go? Are you, do you hope that you're going to become as big as Rihanna? I mean, is, is, is this something that you really want to sort of see going forward and upwards? The reaction that I've had so far has been incredible. Anyone who has seen it, or on the most part, anyone who's seen it really wants to get behind it and wants to do anything they can to help. And I think that's a really good indicator of the direction that it's heading. Um, I don't think you can ever say how big a project's going to be, um, and I'm clichéingly enjoying the journey. Um, but my little egotistical, um, enthusiastic self is like, you know, I think I can play big stages. I think I can play big stuff. I try really hard. I rehearse really hard with the band. I make sure everyone's having a good time. So. I would like it to get that big, but that would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, but I think something something I've been struggling with is the differentiation between being famous and success. Yeah, because I think a lot of people, is especially as a musician, you think the only way you'll be successful is if you're famous. Um, which I think you know does that those two do go hand in hand. But you can still be successful without being famous. Like you can still have a career, still earn all the money you need to to live and everything like that. I think so, some of the best artists are actually in that category. Yeah, well I think it's because they're still doing what they want. Like they're still doing what they they feel is passionate about themselves. I have a, I'm in a very lovely position that my job is in music as a producer because I still do production as my day. You're like, still doing my, that during the day. Yeah, so the, or, or like whatever is required yeah. because although taking doing a solo project or doing a band takes up a lot of time it doesn't literally take up 100% of your time so I do a lot of production uh, during the week on the weekends anyway and I absolutely love it and it, it keeps my foot in it keeps my brain active on other people's projects and I learn so much I've learned so much oh, from working really fresh, I suppose. yeah it does if you're just working on one project the entire time like you you get you get stale like you don't come up with new ideas so I like looking I go to so many gigs I go to like three gigs a week like I've just other people's music because I love seeing what people are doing well I'm really looking forward to hearing you <laughs> and all the best with your project thank you thank you so much <laughs> thanks thank you <laughs> That was Dee Dee, also known as Lauren Deacon Davis, talking to our Linda at Strawberry Fair. And the music was from Dee Dee and it was Back Off. Yep, that was the song that you heard at the beginning and at the end there. Really good on stage they were. Very, very good. They actually had a drummer who was standing in because the, the drummer couldn't make it. But they, yeah, they were really... Well done him. I know, yeah. really good. Really, really good. And I, I I wanted to interview her for a while because I thought she was a really interesting person. You know, she, she won the award at the New Music Generator last year as a producer of the year. So I knew that she was going to be uh, very good and highly thought of. And I was interested to hear when she decided 
to start uh, start her own band as well, and she's writing all of her songs and things. Really talented girl. Yeah, we were also saying well, how confident she sounds as well, just by talking. A little. I mean, she's got a great voice. That's the one thing that came out for me, Linda, was the voice. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's great, strong voice. She's obviously very proud of her band as well. And, she um, is. And as you said, she's gone from producer to artist. And that's quite a feat in many ways. Cause well, it's... I was I was saying to her in the interview. Normally, it's the other way around. Yeah, you know, people start as artists and they they come become interested in the desk and they become interested in, in how it sounds, you know. But she did it all the other way around. I think that's quite interesting. Although she has been in bands for a long time, mm. but she hadn't thought earlier about starting her own. But band. Linda, how old is she? She's, she's 22 now. Wow, that's fantastic. And she's also talking, I love very wise words. She says, uh, you can be successful and be famous, but actually you can be successful without having the famous as well. I, you know, yeah, that's I agree. Good wise words for a 22-year-old. It is. She'll go far. Yeah. In my I, book anyway. I think I think she will. I think, And she's very, very nice as well. Mm. But really vivacious, really friendly, really lovely. This is 21st Century Women. start off what they're saying these days with so I used to say well and people say so all the time they so I've been to a couple of flower shows recently ladies and I just love flower shows it is the season to do flower shows there was quite a few going on in the area last week and um, I managed to fit in Houghton and or is it Houghton Houghton, Houghton and Ramsey and it's amazing how largely women actually still produce flower arrangements in churches to raise money for for maybe church roofs or whatever they're raising money for and they're very creative. They have a theme so Houghton was music which was a great theme and uh, Ramsey I think the theme was countries of the world because they all had like labels of things like Hong Kong, Japan, but they weren't all like that actually. Some were of Greek gods and, and so on. So I'm not entirely sure. It, was, it seems to be a, a trip around the world, but it wasn't necessarily countries. It might have been things ancient and modern, you know. Anyway, I just thought it's a good time of year to <laughs> go to garden shows and such like. And also there are plenty of open gardens at the moment, a hand so ladies have you got any thoughts on either attending any flower festivals or an open garden i'd like to know liz how many garden shows did you do in one day sounds like you did drove around the country (laughs) i did one on saturday and one on sunday so no i didn't really drive around the country both very local they don't take very long to go around and um, they're very pleasant there's usually refreshments coffee and cake that sort of thing and it's just lovely to see beautiful flowers done very artfully rehearse steps on an empty stage that boy's got my heart in a silver cage i've been to um to open gardens in one of the villages close to where i live and that is the best day out snooping i have done in many a year <laughs> What do you mean by snooping? Who are you snooping, Linda? Well, it's just that you get you get to see in places that you normally, you know, you drive past and there's a big wall or gates and you actually get to walk in oh. legally. 
You mean welcome, they welcome you. You know, they'll give you a bun and everything. <laughs> what to get into the gates and the grounds and see all the? Well, it's just just people's gardens. You know, so the, the, a whole village. Well, maybe not every house. I mean, you want you, you choose to take part, but a lot of the houses will take part in opening up their gardens, and in your pop, you can walk around the garden. the The homeowner is generally there, very proud of the garden, and you can ask them anything. Is that a weed? No, it's, <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. No, be, but of course they've all got absolutely stunning <laughs> gardens. But it's a great way. Of snooping. Yeah, snooping. People watching. Yeah. Yeah. Garden snooping. Yeah, garden. Yes, you're absolutely right. And sort of house snooping, really. Well, Mm. no, because they usually draw the blinds. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I've noticed that. It's Mm. really disappointing. And it's only one house that you can snoop. Many windows, I suppose, and many rooms, but it is only one no, house. No, 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 no. The whole village are lots of people oh. in the village. So I've been to these, th- where they have an open garden mm. day in the village, ah. and you can go around, whoa, a good 20, 30 houses. Oh, I see. I mean, some of these gardens are absolutely enormous. You know, you when you, from the street, it doesn't look like much, but when you go back, it's an absolutely huge, huge garden. Grounds, you know. Because it's interesting, too, because when um, you walk past lots of houses, you want to look into somebody's living room, don't you? to see what it's like how different it is to your own living room but this is of course <laughs> well I do but Linda you had the ideal opportunity to do that yeah. without getting told off for being Mr. Yeah. Mrs. Snoop you see I missed a trick because what I should have done in every house is said oh I really need the toilet <laughs> <laughs> about Linda mm. what I really like to talk about if you don't mind is the Liverpool versus Real Madrid that happened in Russia a few weeks ago because I don't really watch football that much I think the game is fantastic it's a great game to watch probably not on TV but my husband said to me did you see the match last night that is not a conversation that will ever happen in my house with my husband saying did you watch the match last night? It's not going to happen. <laughs> well, it did. And so he said, my goodness, there was a, a catastrophe. Carrius, the goalkeeper for Liverpool, let in two goals. Big error. You must watch it. So I did. I watched it. What? Yes, you I actually did. sat and watched it? I did. I watched the playback. And catch up. Yeah, well, you know when you get the <laughs> yeah the catch up. I can't believe I should admit to watching a catch up football. And I watched the two goals that... Carriers had let in I thought they were very very suspicious it looked really really odd the way he had a cup of tea in his hand maybe yeah, well, leaning he, against he, the post he, I suppose he did have a no he didn't he had a football in his hand he was literally taking the football and just about to kick it into the field one of the Real Madrid players was very near him and he didn't see it and he threw the ball as if he was going towards another player of his own and didn't see the opposition the guy intercepted and took the ball and got a goal. Oh, that's great describing, isn't it? I'm not as good as Des Rez here. I know. I don't think you're going to be any danger no. to the football commentating world. No, definitely no, not. No. Okay, so you're quite like football then. Are you going to own up to this? Well, I, I like playing football. Have you never played football before, Linda? Do no. I look like someone who does a quick kick around in the park? Well, it takes all sorts. Mm. And I have. I've enjoyed it very much. Like I play cricket sometimes at birthday matches. But anyway, this was really odd because 
it looked a weird way that the guy had played and apparently a couple of weeks later while Carriers, the goalkeeper of Liverpool was on holiday he was having I think he was complaining of headaches and it realized that he had concussion during that match and that's why he was playing the way he did I thought that was a real shocker and I have a friend who supports Liverpool so I think they should play the game again but I mean, that could happen to anyone then. So any time a team lose, <laughs> you go, well, well, that goalkeeper clearly had concussion. Well, he did clearly have concussion. That's what I'm saying, because when you watch the match, that is like no other play. It was very weird. He was giving the goal literally away to the opposition. And when he caught the ball, uh, ball at the goal, he let it go. That was really odd. For a professional player, that was odd. And you knew something was wrong. So are you going to be watching the World Cup then? I might, I might, yes, I'm getting into it now. So you've got the beer in the fridge, presumably, and the nibbles in the cupboard. No, I don't drink beer, I drink wine and gin and tonics. (laughs) not right you can't watch a game of football sipping some wine can you it's just not right well you can you can bring a bit of culture into football can't a you, bit Ellie? of culture into yeah. football yeah yeah i think you can i've heard it all now yes i know anyway i will be watching the football i think a very interesting thing is that the police are running this campaign i know they're running it throughout cambridgeshire called i'm des and i think it's a great idea because it's not all pubs that are doing this, but a lot of pubs are doing it, where you have a designated driver and the designated driver says to the bar staff, I'm Des. I'm not, not I'm dead, but I'm No, dead. I'm not. I'm, de- <laughs> I'm Des, as yes. in designated. And they give you a wristband and you then get free, I think it's the, you know, on pump stuff, so soft drinks all night. So, so you get a wristband to say that you've said that you're Des. Yes, <laughs> so I'm Des. So does it say on the wristband, I'm, I'm Des? Des? It does, yes. actually, yeah. yeah. So, well, and you get free soft drinks all night. Wow. So you have to keep going up to the bar and saying, I'm, I'm Des. Des. Well, no, you just show your wristband. <laughs> a bit like an all-inclusive hotel, really. Yeah, it is. <laughs> But I thought maybe you had to say, I'm Des O'Connor or Des Liner. Or... <laughs> I'll bet that happens. Yeah. I'll bet there's a lot of that throughout Cambridgeshire mm. over the next... How long does this World Cup thing last? Oh, I don't know. Two weeks? Three weeks? It'll feel like a lifetime to most of us. <laughs> I should be looking out for the concussed players. Yes. <laughs> Anyone who makes the slightest mistake. Oh, yeah, I know this one. He's concussed, you'll say. <laughs> During a recent visit to the island of Sark, Susie Thorpe met with Cara Coldridge, who told Susie how she went about setting up her own business. Today I am with Cara Coldridge, who runs a really successful chocolatier business called Cara's Chocolates. And from this beautiful island of Sark in the Channel Islands and exporting your chocolates to all over the world. Good morning, Cara. Good morning, Susie. Lovely to have you here. And we must just put context to this interview by beginning to say that we're actually in um, Sark. It's part of the Channel Islands, which is located off the French coast of Normandy. 
And yeah, it's great to be here. Now, it's part of a Crown dependency. It's the Bailiwick of Jersey is one part, and then the other part is the Bailiwick of Guernsey, consisting of Guernsey, Alderney and Sark, and some smaller islands too. Now, how long have you lived on Sark, Cara? Well, I've lived on Sark nearly 30 years now. I arrived in 1989, just after we got married. And it was funny because it's such a, a small island and my family thought, oh, going to a small island it could take you five years for people to begin <laughs> to talk to you. But actually, it's it's the absolute opposite um, because we all live together. People are so warm and friendly and helpful mm. um, that actually five years flew by and then 10. And now we're here nearly 30 years. Wow. What inspired you to create your own, well, very now successful business as a chocolatier in Sark? Well, when I arrived in Sark, uh, we used to holiday here and I just loved the cream and the dairy products. And I was shocked that nobody was making beautiful products with these amazing raw materials. So I said to my husband, well, it's going to have to be ice cream, cheese or chocolate. And because chocolate obviously is such a favourite, we thought well, we'll start with that one. Um, and so it was inspired by the cream because the cream is just fantastic. Now you say inspired by the cream, but also did you know a lot about actually making chocolate? And I knew nothing about making chocolate. I trained as a nurse and when I came I was doing some um, just general nursing but the island, there isn't enough for uh, one nurse here. And I thought, well, I'll just get a book and, and teach myself. So I went down to the village and I got some chocolate and cream and made a mess and realised I needed to do some research um, and get some some proper books. And it was all pre-internet. So I had to hunt around to find the right kind of books and, and learn how to temper and, and really understand chocolate. So. so you say it was pre-internet, which is really interesting because let's just put some more context to this interview and say that the sock itself is only just about three miles in length isn't it and a one and a half mile wide and the whole area of Sark is five square miles and it's about nine miles from uh, Guernsey. Now the population of Sark is 600 people and during the tourist season it jumps to about a thousand from May to September but it, so it's been it, I mean the highs and lows must be have been quite interesting when you first started this business running a business from a very small but beautiful island. Well, there's certainly challenges. Um, there's logistical arrangements, there's getting information, there's getting samples. There's particularly with something like packaging or, or new raw materials, you can't just pop down the road and try it. They can't just easily do a demo for you. Um, so there, there's lots of considerations like that. And then freighting things over, sorting out that the freight doesn't get damaged, that a leg of lamb doesn't go on the, the fragile ingredients. Um, so, and then generally you have to chase things up if they don't arrive. Um, and then just even finding the information initially I was I was very fortunate there was a gentleman here who sold cookery books um, and he had a Belgian chocolate book um, which was just amazing and that became my bible and they did have a list of contact numbers at the back and sure I contacted them all and then if they couldn't help me I asked them who could and and just rang around but here it is it it has its challenges um, just just on a day-to-day running um, basis Um, but it's such a nice place to run a business. So, I mean, that is extraordinary, really, on your small island, and you find the one book that's going to literally start your business. And in 1995, after running the business for a few years, you got the Good Housekeeping Business Woman of the Year Award in 1995. Now, was that a major turning point for you? Did it give you confidence to move forward? 
Well, that certainly did, uh, was a big turning point. I mean, we, we were able to to buy the bigger tempering machines and feel that we could ex- expand and use more space because it was very much a kitchen table business with the kids running around. But you could do that on SARC because it's less regulated, really. So it just offers you a chance to try things. So, Cara, how do you, did you and still do, how do you manage your business with family? You, you and Simon have five children and you continue to make a, a success of your chocolate business right through bringing up five children what was your typical day and what's your typical day now oh what's a typical day a typical day is pretty full on I think with children in a busy house you just get caught up in it and swept along with it um, and I don't really remember a lot of it because we just you just keep going did spend a lot of time on the beach with the kids and it was a fantastic place to bring children up mm. um, and then and then they've left to come back and help they've always helped they've always brought their thoughts their their labor they've always worked and get involved and uh give me lots of feedback so it's a very supportive family business and people on the island are so supportive they're mm. always encouraging and 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 trying to sort of spread the word and taking these gifts um so it, it's really an island business it's yeah. here for the island do you think your role within the business has changed over the years i mean have you been able to delegate some of the the work that you do and run from a different perspective now I think that was a mistake I made for a long time in that I was so busy making that I couldn't really do the managing properly. And it was when one of our sons who had done food marketing at, at college came back and he said, you need to get people in to do more of the making so you can manage. So he gave us that perspective. So he joined us for a few years and helped with the rebranding and, and just changed my perspective on it. And I was able to take to stand back a little bit and let go of the, the making, which is your baby, really. But but you do need to. Mm. Um, so we have a, a more of a team now. Um, managing the chocolates and and making them and talking of team and what about ingredients do you think it's really important to continue using ingredients from Sark has that been your main goal throughout all this Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the chocolates reflect Sark, so that is our unique selling point. Um, so I always use as much as we can. And when we're trying to do, move on and use even Sark sea salt, Sark chilies, Sark mint. So we try as much as possible um, use local. Our island dairy closed down, our official island dairy closed down in January because it was a family business and the main farmer was retiring. Um, but now we're, there's a group of us who are hoping to set up a new dairy, um, which will actually make it more future-proof. So it's a great opportunity, although sad in one way, to say goodbye to one, and then a great opportunity to set up a new dairy, where we will hope that we can really move forward with Artisan Sark, Taste of Sark. So we're hoping to have our own cheese, yoghurt, ice cream, as well so really making the value-added products um, and the branding people that helped us with the chocolates are going to help us with the dairy as well so you know we're really hoping that it's going to be a really eventful year. And this is really interesting to talk about this Cara because right through your time here on Sark for the last 30 years I think not only has chocolate making been your one of your sole goals actually but you've taken on many many roles in Sark in light of what Sark is all about. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh well Sark is a place where people wear many hats you notice that straight away you might have the postman turn up as your electrician or you might see somebody in the shop serving you later in a cafe it's just that kind of way where people are very versatile and people do have 
we do rely on a voluntary system to fulfil a lot of roles as volunteer firemen, volunteer constable. So I, I did my time as constable, my husband is special constable, and then at the moment I'm assistant constable. So it's a volunteer trained scheme where we sort of just really keep the peace, and it, but predominantly it is a peaceful place. Uh, but if there's any sort of disputes or day trippers have a bit too much to drink, then we can sort things out. And then I also do nursing on the island. We've got a few care teams, which is brilliant because it means that people can come home from hospital and be cared for where they love. So Sark is a great place for people to come back to, but you need some care support. Mm. So we've got teams of carers. They aren't qualified carers, but they have common sense and kindness, which is all we really need. So we, we manage that as well. Um, and then we run a, a accommodation here as well. Um, so just just a number of things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I just think it's fantastic and really admirable the way that you've taken on doing your own business and like many, many people on SARC, you have different roles as well that you have to do. But I get the impression, we were talking earlier about now your yoga, yeah. that because there was no yoga on the island, you decided to start it yourself. I mean, this is your philosophy in life, isn't it, Cara? I think, it, like I said, it's like the little red hen. I'll, I'll, I'll do it then, I'll do it myself. But there was a, a group of us very, very interested in, yo- interested in yoga. And occasionally yoga people come and do workshop weekends. And we tried to keep it up together. And I think for me, yoga proved to be through a few challenging times with ill health in the family. It proved to be the bit that I could hold on to and it kept me from falling down, really. Mm. So um, I really, really took took really committedly to yoga about 10 years ago because it just gives you a way to manage living mm. better, not yoga. So I often say to the people at yoga classes, we come to do yoga to get better at living rather than getting better at the postures. Um, so I, I trained two years ago as a yoga teacher and now offer um yoga classes three times a week here on Sark. As well as running your chocolate business, which yeah. is pretty commendable because to get the chocolates over to the UK and all over the world, it, it's it's quite an interesting feat, isn't it? Can you just give us a little bit of context on how you make the chocolate and then have to export them? Yeah, well, I mean, the chocolate, it's, it's, they start life in such a beautiful, serene place and then we package them up. We can either, we either freight them out to retailers or do um, mail order, but they t- they leave here in either big boxes or small boxes and then they go on bike down to the post office and then from there they're bagged up and go on the back of a tractor and trailer down to the harbour and then from there they go on the Bon Moran ferry over to Guernsey, they pick them up and then from there they go either straight off to the UK or by freight uh, to the bigger suppliers or by post jetting around the world so we have we have posted them all around the world which is amazing piece of sark just travels i often say would you like us to hand deliver these (laughs) i'm happy to come to america australia it's exciting to share something from somewhere so special and i think that's what makes you really special cara um just a lovely person and and just to make sure we all know here that you run your business from your own house you have a farm and you run your business and not only do you export but you have a lovely tea room people can come in and have a view and take a tour of your chocolate factory well yes it's lovely to welcome people in we i mean it's amazing how much chocolate you can make from quite a small area um but yes it's just really nice for people to have a destination where they can come and meet us and chat and often ask the those interesting questions they like to ask about water and electricity and which are all interesting topics on a small island And, and just meeting your customers which is really nice and then we have a cabinet where they can try new flavors so that we get feedback straight away which mm. is which is brilliant 
And just just for some wise words for anybody trying to start their business, especially on an island like Sar, which is very tiny, uh, what would you what would you give advice to? I mean, looking back at how you started and where you are now with Simon, your five children, and how successful you are, what what sort of tiny tip would you give to people thinking about it? Well, I, I always think fortune favours the brave, so I would say whatever you're thinking about. you'll only regret what you don't do but as with any yoga class that we start the pillars of anything are being humble and patient and have a good sense of humor (laughs) do you know i was just about to ask that question and you finished it off really nicely thank you car very much for talking to me today pleasure susie yeah lovely to see you again that was cara coldridge talking all things chocolate with our Susie Thorpe. She sounded great, Susie. She is. She's she's a great lady, very inspirational. Yeah, I love the way she, um, and the interview, remember her talking about how she started off. Yeah. There was one chap on the island, who I know really well, actually, obviously he passed away a year ago, but his name was Roy Cook, and he used to have a business from Sark, and it was a publishing company, a book publishing, a cookery book, and he had one chocolate book that Cara was allowed to borrow, and that's been her Bible. That is kind of, um, it's almost unbelievable, isn't mm, it? That's, mm. I guess in a small place like that, you're just forced to do what you do and, yeah. and, and any way that you can do it. But, you know, if she'd been on the mainland and decided to become a chocolatier, do you not think she'd have been looking oh, at libraries, she'd have been visiting places, she'd have been doing all kinds of things, but because she was restricted, it mm. probably better. That's a good point, actually. And she did say, and that was pre-internet, and if she'd be on mainland, she would have been running all over the place. But she had to make do. And sometimes I think that makes you more determined Mm. to do something, doesn't it? You don't have a choice no matter. You've just got to get on with it. She built her business, and if you look at her beautiful factory, it sits in her house, and as you look at the house, it's off to the right, and you walk in another side entrance, and she's got the tea shop on the left, and you have to walk through these plastic sort of, shields so these um doors where you will look into the chocolate factory and it's all there and all the lovely ladies are there working away and they love it and uh, they're not eating all the time i know bobby you'd probably like a little bit of chocolate i think you would oh yes and you accuse me wouldn't you you accuse me of not bringing back the chocolate Yes, I think, that's, I think that's really bad that you didn't bring mm. us back any well, samples. Well, yes, I think so yeah. as well. I think it's well, it outrageous, could, frankly. Well, it could be that I did have some chocolate for you and I might It have. didn't last. It didn't <laughs> last, yes. That's probably the truth. In fact, that's it is horrid, the truth. isn't it? <laughs> Eating <laughs> our chocolate, Bobby. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. And that, that's nice, that beautiful milk and cream over there. Mm. Yeah, the moment she is getting all the cream and dairy products and milk from Guernsey but she is so keen to keep the the business I'm surprised she doesn't if she's got a farm she doesn't just start doing that herself well she's like the kind of person that mm. would just do it yeah yes you're right so I'm going to go back in a few weeks time and I'll I'll, tell her that yes I will I'll tell her (laughs) put the idea in her head Linda I will tell her and tell her you'll be the dairy maid yes I'm just going to say that I'm just going to say that you can milk the cows tell her you're expert at that no I'd have to wear that the yolk the yolk that's right Mm -hmm. round your neck the buckets yeah and I'd have to wear a frilly dress I think you'd look grand Susie thank you so much Linda (laughs) thank you there's something in that there's something behind that I'm not sure but she I mean we talk about her inspirational women on 21st century women and she does sound like just Mm -hmm. that kind of person Mm. she's just the kind of person that we seek out and find yeah 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 Yeah. well she's she sorry 
That's right. Yeah, I was just thinking that she does meet our criteria. I think perhaps we're going to have to start um, awarding rosettes to people. Do you think? What do you think? Rosettes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> rosettes, Bobby. <laughs> why why do would you we? <laughs> I do not think that might be slightly alarming for them. You do an interview and pin something on them. I don't know. I don't know that's going to work and well. And where would you pin it? That's what I'd like to know. <laughs> or maybe horses, you know. <laughs> on the pinny. <laughs> or maybe, maybe, no, maybe we should have a second, third person. I don't know. Bronze, silver. <laughs> Bron- yes, we, we think you we think you're bronze. Yeah. Well yes. done. Yes. Yeah. You didn't I'm quite not... make the cut, but <laughs> yes. you, you made the gold instead. <laughs> Try harder. Bronze. Next time we interview, yeah. you'll get a silver. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yes. oh, no. We could be the school mistresses. No, we won't even go there. No, we will not go there. <laughs> <laughs> but she did do well. I think before we do any more damage to our lovely interviews, <laughs> and they are actually. I mean, these these people that we're speaking to are absolutely fabulous. That we and we and it, what always surprises me is that every month we find more and more and more, and and it's yeah. absolutely brilliant. Mm. Now coming up is another really interesting uh, lady. It's Bianca Seymour, who is a female barber, and uh, Bobby Jones caught up with her i'm assuming that you didn't plank a rosette on her bobby i didn't i hadn't thought of it at that stage <laughs> goodness well that, that's all i can say this is 21st century women bianca seymour is a female barber who's just taken over her own barber shop in godmanchester bobby jones popped along to speak to her after her first week in business just taken over a traditional barber shop in Godmanchester. I have, yeah. And you've been at it a whole week. How did it go last week? I'm really pleased with the first week, yeah. I took a few more customers through the door than I expected. Had a few of the previous owner's old clientele, so that was really lovely. Had a nice little chat with them and got to know them. And yeah, it was it was a brilliant first week, a success. Why did you choose to become a barber rather than a hairdresser? So I did train to be a hairdresser and then after my apprenticeship, the shop I was with couldn't take me on. So I was out into the big wide world, found my own hairdressing job and that was on a three-month trial and there was two of us and the other girl got the job, unfortunately. So I was sort of down on confidence and looking for a job, and I saw a barbering job, and I thought, oh, I don't know about this, but I'll try it. And I did my first week, and I've never really looked back, to be honest. I've sort of been a barber ever since. I've quite enjoyed it as well. It's a lot less stressful and, <laughs> yeah, a lot less worrying, so it's, it's good fun. Why do you say it's less stressful and less worrying? It's still hair. Absolutely. So with, with women, you have to do a lot more services like colouring, perming, and there's a lot more that can go wrong. And, you know, I think men are quite easy, easily pleased, to be honest. <laughs> no fuss, aren't they, you know? OK, I'll take your word for that. <laughs> OK. Do men like their hair being cut by a woman? Yeah, I mean, throughout my career, I mean, I've, I've been barbering for nine years now and I've met very few men who don't appreciate a woman cutting their hair. I mean, very few. I've met some that I've been the first lady to cut their hair and that's always quite interesting. Why do you say it's interesting if it's the first time they've had a, their hair cut by a woman? Are they, are they a bit sort of unsure about it all? Not necessarily. Just that, um, They've probably just gone for the, to the same bloke all their life from when they were kids and... Mm. 
it's just circumstances, you know, they've, they've never had to have the hair cut by a woman. So this was a first for him and it was always, oh, oh, well, yeah, brilliant. You know, it was always quite exciting for me. That's very interesting because women who have their hair cut, we, we tend to find a hairdresser that we like and then we stick with them. Is it the same for the men? Yeah, mostly. But, but then again, I've, I've worked in um, a lot of shops and you do get some men will wait for a particular barber. But then a majority of the customers don't actually mind and they will just sort of go to anyone. So, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a mixture of the both, really. Do you get requests for some of the more extreme haircuts, like hair tattoos or skinhead cuts or stuff like that? So I don't actually specialise in hair tattoos at all. I mean, I can do, like, a little simple line or simple pattern or something. But, um, no, I don't really get many requests for that sort of thing anymore no yeah. not anymore not anymore yeah no <laughs> i worked in a shop in town and um one of the barbers in there was brilliant at it so they they assumed we could all do it but but no <laughs> it takes a lot of practice <laughs> i can imagine it must do it's quite a creative art oh absolutely yeah yeah definitely are men interested in hair products not massively no I, i've not sold many products throughout my barbering career i think probably did a lot more with the women yeah that's that's interesting a quick look around the shop which is a lovely tidy little shop there's no um shelves with hair products on at all so you're not anticipating a lot of fellas wanting to have their hair sprayed or gelled (laughs) or whatever um actually in the last week barely any have wanted gel but um (laughs) but i am actually having a meeting with a man on wednesday about some products i've just i'm in the process of deciding what brand to go for do men come in and get their hair dyed to cover up the gray like us ladies do tend to do so i don't actually offer that service but there are a few men that dye it themselves or even they get their other halves to help them so so yeah the secret's out (laughs) (laughs) okay right well there you go do you handle shaving as well as hair So I use a cutthroat razor on my client's neck hairs. Um, I don't tend to do the actual cutthroat shaving on the face at all. I just, I'll tidy up a beard with it and etc. But yeah, I don't do a full shave, I'm afraid. And I know that quite a lot of barber shops, they they do this, um, what do they call it, hot towel stuff? So that's kind of all included in the in the shave experience. You'll get a massage, you'll get a hot towel, um, ear flames and waxing. Oh yeah, it's quite um I think it's a bit barbaric, a bit, you know, when they're ripping out <laughs> when they're ripping out wax off of people's face. Yeah. Well that's interesting. So the modern man is much more interested in his appearance than, than the old short back and sides type haircut. I think there's a definite mix of guys who who would like that sort of service and guys who wouldn't. I I think more guys just want your basic sort of things. But then if it's a special occasion, perhaps, like a wedding or something, they'll go to these lovely places and get a shave. It's quite expensive. So it's not very sort of financially feasible to do it every week or, you know, every every time you need a shave. So it's more of a treat Hmm. for the modern man. And why not? We we yeah. go for pampering. Why we shouldn't they? Nails done in all sorts, don't we? We need to give them a little Absolutely. something. Yeah. yeah. You've just taken over the shop, as I said. Have you got any plans to change the shop or the services that you offer? Not at the minute. I mean, I'm I'm just kind of getting my feet on the ground. Um, I'm looking 
to get it busy enough so I can have somebody else work with me. And then when I've got someone else working for me, I'll then have the time to sort of invest, you know, in perhaps going on courses and things like that. So I have thought about it, yeah. Well, I I think that's a a terrific thing for you to do. It's a very big step to take over your own shop. How did you feel about signing on the dotted line? Oh, it was was quite nerve-wracking. It was sort of like I grew up ten years in that one signature <laughs> but yeah it was it's very exciting I'm, I'm i'm ready for it definitely i've never been more ready just give me a hand my friend be cool be strong and come with me That was barbershop owner Bianca Seymour talking to Bobby Jones. The music was Clean Bandit featuring Kandaka Moore and Nikki Sislin. Well, she sounds lovely. And I can imagine you know, that last question you asked her about, was it nerve-wracking when you were signing on the dotted line? I can imagine it must have been, because yeah. she sounds quite young. Oh, yes, yes, so, she so, is. You know, yes. so it, it's, quite a, it's quite an undertaking, isn't it? Yes, yeah, I can, I can just imagine her sitting there, signing on the dotted line with her hand shaking. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, she sounds lovely, and I'm sure yes. she'll make a go of it, because she sounds I'm very sure charming. It, it certainly seems to be getting around God Manchester that there is a lady barber. Mm-hmm. And in fact, somebody said to me the other day, um, have you seen the new lady barber? I thought, why should I have seen her? They must have known. <laughs> so the, you think they knew that you'd been speaking they, they to her? They must have known, yes. Yeah. I mean, I must admit, I go to the hairdresser once a month. Regular. Once a month? Yes. Do you go once a month? Yes, I do. I thought it was six to eight weeks. No, yeah. no, generally, not generally. you. I, don't, I have no idea how, <laughs> how no, many you... about, Well, maybe five weeks, right? Oh. Enough. It's because you've got short hair, about, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. So you have to keep yeah. it. Keep it in, yeah. in control. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is which my husband doesn't do. I mean, I must admit he's not going to be a good candidate for Bianca because he just shaves his head because but he's got hardly any hair. Do you think it's really interesting how with the language here we talk about our own hair as women and keeping it in control? Can you Under imagine control, a man yeah. to coming into a hair the barber shop and said, "You need to keep that in control. I don't want it going all over the place. I don't want it curly. I just need some short back and sides." Yes. We do I'm use sure different language. Do. do you think? I, yes, I, I probably. Think some do yes. because if they've got curly here it yes. starts going out the way doesn't it yeah and a lot of men don't like that no they don't that's yeah. right yeah mm-hmm. do they does does um this lovely lady bianca bianca thank you uh does she do beards and shaving as well or is it just is it just the hair i did ask her about that mm. i'm trying to think what what, what she yeah, said she, mm. i think i think she said she, think she, she, she trims gives a bit of a trim she doesn't yeah. do anything and she uses a cutthroat razor which i thought was really interesting yes yeah. Yes. I mean, I'd be t- absolutely terrified if I saw someone coming towards me with a cutthroat razor. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it might not be in a barber. It might be down a dark alley. Mm. So it might not be. That was just on on the throat, I think, throat area for the cut, yeah, yeah, cutthroat. Just, yeah, just which the is the worst area, up. actually, isn't it? When you think I about know. it. But, but the rest, I think, she probably uses something uh, calmer. Electrical, perhaps. I know that the back of my hair gets shaved. When when they've when they've cut it, because it's quite short. Oh really? So, yeah, so you have they, they you have, have the trim. Have a little, do yes. you? Yeah, just to make sure I don't have a beard at the back. I suppose <laughs> I don't know, but I suppose it's if you if it's re- relatively short at the back, you don't want to see straggly, straggly hair. And she didn't she say Bobby at the um, during this she says that men are much easier to have their hair cut. Women there's a lot more. 
reputation to lose. Yeah, colouring. Perhaps they're not so picky as we are. I don't know. Who, the men? Uh, Yeah, I think perhaps the older men are are quite happy with the short back and sides. Although they may not be. I Mm. mean, you know. I think they probably have had a lot of them have the same hair cut for year after year after year. They mm. settle into it in their 20s, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. And this is a guess, yeah? But I'm, I'm th- they settle into it, and that's the way forward until it recedes back, you know? Because mm. for a lot of people, it recedes back, doesn't it? For men. Yeah, mm. yeah. it does. But yeah, it, but yeah she was. She was uh, I think we are more daring. And I think it can what, go women more... women are much more daring. Yes, I think you? so. I think so. And I think it can go more catastrophically wrong for women. If I were a hairdresser, I, I'd i be quite nervous a lot of the time, actually, doing women's hairdressing. But I think men want to become more daring, but sometimes cultural... Do you think of, it's changing for yeah. the youngsters? I hope it is, actually, in many ways. I do. I hope that Bianca realises that sometimes men can be a liability as well when it comes to hairdressing, mm. maybe, and they want some, not the usual short back and sides, and maybe they want something Maybe they want different. to be talked into something yeah. as well. She could be the woman. Don't forget that in the 60s, all the fellas used to have really long hair, didn't yeah, they? And ponytails. Yeah. And all sorts of things. I mean, men's hair goes up and down just as much as ours does. That's true. It's, it's mainly the youngsters that it affects, isn't it? Hmm. So younger men will have different kind of haircuts to to mm. older men, I suppose. Mm. Do you think that's what happens when you reach 40? Just like they say that when you walk down the high street and you look in certain shops that you suddenly start thinking, I rather like that cardigan. Maybe it's the same with hair as well, do you that think? Ca- that is such a classic thing to say, isn't it? Cardigan, yeah. as you a get cardigan. to a certain age, <laughs> we always wear a cardigan. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Bianca knows that when a man walks in wearing a cardigan, he is going to want a certain type of haircut. Yes, yes. I don't remember in the 60s, though, men having wanting to dye their hair. They might have had long hair in the 60s and 70s, but they didn't go along wanted their hair dyed, or maybe I was wrong there. Mm. I, I don't remember much about it being terribly dyed. Uh, yeah. They, they used to have sort of, uh, and I think they probably still do, they used to have sort of cockatoo hairstyles. Do you remember that? I do. No? Yeah. I think I had a boyfriend that had a cockatoo hairstyle. <laughs> yeah. Cockatoo hairstyle? Yeah, yeah you, you know, know with the, the Mohican. The... Oh, a Mohican! Yeah. yeah. Cockatoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that is a... <laughs> I was wondering what the devil you guys were talking about, to be quite honest. I think he had a beak as well, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> guess that's all about do we have time for uh, in this edition of 21st century women our huge thanks go to bianca seymour lauren deacon davis aka dd um cara coldridge as well busy making her chocolate as we speak i dare say the show will be available as a podcast on itunes and on mixcloud and we'll be back in july until then it's goodbye from bobby jones bye for now it's goodbye from Liz Kelly. Goodbye. From Susie Thorpe. Bye-bye. And, of course, from me, Linda Ness. See you next time. <laughs>